to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Paul Davenport and welcome to another episode of the Bible Feed podcast. I'm really pleased to have with me today in our conversation, Mark Vincent. So hi, Mark. How are you? Hi there, Paul. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. So what we're going to do in this uh, this conversation is uh, is talk about a book that uh, that Mark uh, you've written. Um, it's not it's not been newly published. It's been around a few years. I think it was published originally in 2016. It, the title of the book is Life's Biggest Questions. Now we've said before on this podcast that we we like the big questions. I think just a few episodes ago we did something on the meaning of life and looking at uh, at the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're not shy to uh, to think about this, but we're going one step further this time and looking at life's biggest questions. Human beings, it seems, like to ask big questions. Uh, whether we think about them every day or not, they're always nagging away there in the back of our minds. And and we're always looking for meaning and, and purpose in in things that happen in our in our individual lives or on the big scale that are happening in the world. Where are things leading? What's the purpose of it all? So this book, uh, Life's Biggest Questions, um, it's it's not a long book. I think it's about 140 pages or so. So it, it aims to do quite a lot in in 140 pages in a simple and approachable way uh, and explore the biggest questions. But before we get into the content of the book, Mark, it's um, be really good just to understand a little bit of your, your background, um, your journey of, uh, of faith and its development um, to, to today. So tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So uh, I grew up in, in Yorkshire in the UK. Um, I was I was raised from a young age reading the Bible uh, in the Christadelphian community. So that was a great background for me, really. Uh, you know, it's like I can't remember a time when I wasn't familiar with the Bible. Um, and so that brings you a certain perspective, which which, which and and uh, I suppose a depth of familiar familiarity with, with with the gospel message, which is really valuable. Uh, my wife, by contrast, um, she, she was not brought up uh, with the religious background. So, you know, that brings a different perspective again, and mm. it's interesting to, to, to compare and contrast those things. So, you know, when you do grow up with, you know, within a particular religious uh, faith, religious tradition, I think, uh, you know, probably most of us go through a phase probably somewhere in our teenage years or maybe early 20s where we, you know, deeply question that and think about, am I just doing that because, you know, that's how I was brought up or... That sounds familiar. Right. You have to get to a position where you own it for yourself. Um, so, so I went through that in, in, in my teenage years. And I think for me, really spending a lot of time in the book of Psalms was a, was a big turning point for me in terms of okay. uh, that the, 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 the writers of the Psalms really helping me understand the scale of God, if you like, mm. and how you, you know, you've got to expand your mind to, 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 to start to, to see things from a different perspective. Um, and that's what the Bible is. You know, it, you know it's, it's not all going to be easy to swallow, therefore, because you know, it, it is a different mindset in that sense. So, so that was really, you know, in my teenage years, that, that, that was a, a very important time uh, for me. I, I then, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of the, the broad shape of my life since, since then, I, I, I went to, went to college and, uh, did, did languages actually, Korean and Chinese was my, was my specialty. And then I went on and did a PhD in Hebrew and biblical studies and, you know, uh, learned a lot of the, the ancient Near Eastern languages connected with the Bible. So that was interesting. And then, and then, uh, I jumped, jumped from there into, uh, 
into into the world of financial services for my for, for my working life. So really, this project, writing life's biggest questions and other stuff that I've written, has been done in my spare time, if you like. But uh, if you, if you have a, a, a faith, it's really that really is the you know the most important part of your life, I suppose. Thanks. That's that's really interesting. It's sort of combination of. You know, a, a personal journey of discovery of particularly the Psalms, but but also the the, the studies in the biblical languages, uh, which at Bible Feed we're kind of quite explicit and open about that we're not academics, um, putting putting things out from an academic point of view. Happy to use good scholarly material, um, but really trying to um, to present essentially what is a message for ordinary people understanding the message. Uh, together, I, I think it is really important to um, you know to, to be able to. I mean, it goes back to you know the the, 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 tr- the translation of the Bible into English and the desire to have the you know the Bible uh, translated in a way that uh, you know that for uh, you know the plow hand could understand. Yeah, you know, there's no point in talking in talking in abstractions or talking above above people's heads or, or you know, in, in a very kind of academic way. Jesus spoke and, and the other biblical writers spoke in a way that, you know, everyday people could uh, could could relate to. So so what what prompted the uh, the production of this this particular book for you? Uh, a number of things. So, so we'd had um, we'd had a book uh, in the Christadelphian community called the, the Bible, the Lord Jesus and You, uh, which was in, it, coincidentally written by my uncle, um, and 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 that was uh, but that was a book that was written quite a number of years ago now, probably thirty five years ago, something like that, maybe 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 even longer. Hmm. Um, I you know I thought it was a really good and helpful book, but obviously the culture changes, so, so there was a desire to, to to sort of update and 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 to you know to just put it put across as put the gospel message across in a you know in another way not a different way mm. and so so that was an ask of me like would i be interested in doing that and, and and i was i think it's a great challenge to try to to try to express you know what what you believe the bible hope is about you know sort of from beginning to to end in some kind of a systematic way Mm. I think it's a really good exercise to to do that for you, for yourself, whether <laughs> whether or not you're trying to write a book. <laughs> uh, so so I found it really helpful to try to think about that. But then you know the other interesting challenge about it is you, you realise as soon as you start to write, you realise that everything you say is built on assumptions that you have made. Hopefully there was some basis for those assumptions, and that's why you made them. Mm. Um, but uh, you know with a book like this, you're you're trying to to, to speak in a way which is not assuming too much, you know, where you take preconceptions and assume knowledge away as much as possible, and and start sort of from from first principles, and that's actually quite difficult to do. But it's uh, it's a, it's, mm. it's a very good uh, very good exercise to really to try to understand how all the different pieces fit together. You know, why why are we here? Where are we going? What's you know what's wrong um, with the world? What's wrong with me? With with with, with us as human beings? And to try to understand how you know the whole in some in some way how the whole of the Bible and God's purpose hangs together. And 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 you know, I have to admit I I, I um I mean I've written I've written a few books. Uh, this was definitely the most difficult, uh, even though it's the shortest. Um, <laughs> precisely because of wanting to take the, out those assumptions. So I would write something and then I'd read it back and I'd say, oh hang on, I've assumed that such and such and such and such is true. Mm. Uh, I need to I need to actually go back and explain why you know either take that assumption away or explain why the assumption is a reasonable assumption to make. So I ended up re- rewriting the thing about seven times, and I think after the sixth time I was, I was 
pretty close to being ready to give up. And um, a couple of friends said to me, go and give it one more shot. So, so, so I did. And, um, and yeah, I was happy with the seventh iteration. Oh, well, we're, we're glad you did because, uh, you know, I think to do, to cover that ground in 140 pages or so is, is no mean mean achievement. And, and something that we sort of wrestle with uh, for the production of this podcast is, what, you know, what is our target audience? Because you'd take a very different approach in explaining matters to someone who was a skeptic or didn't have a, a religious or a Christian background at all versus talking to someone who is who is a Christian. What would you say is the target audience for, for the book? Or is it a bit of bit of all of those? So it's it's someone who is asking these questions or can at least relate to them, you know, when you raise the question of hmm. You know, where did I come from? What's the point of my life? You know, am I here for any reason or, or, or am I just a random thing that happened? And where, where am I going in my life? What should I be aiming for? You know, you can ask those questions about yourself personally or you can ask them about society and, and human nature and the world, the world at large. Mm. When you raise those questions, if someone is interested in those questions and is open minded to possible answers to them, I hope the book would be interesting to, 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 to any person who is willing to, to explore those things in an open minded mm. way. So, you know, we look at the question of well where's the authority to to even begin to start to answer those questions and you know for me that arises in in a belief about god and about god as a communicator a god who has something to say yeah. and i think the world in which we live looks like a world that was made by a god who has something to say and there is good evidence to think that the bible is that thing which he said and and so so what is it that you've got to say in it then and how does that answer those those big questions that we have and does that seem to hang together is there evident any evidence that supports those things you know these are the sorts of things so 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 people who are interested in that stuff really so so what what is the what's the one thing that you'd you'd hope someone took took away from the book as as a key message or or as a uh something to take away as a, as a next step. That the world in which we live and that ourselves as human beings, this is not an accident. It, this is a great question. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not my question. It's a question I first came across in, in one of Tim Keller's writings, which is, what are humans for? Mm. And I think that's a fantastic question. What are humans for? You know, uh, and we are for something. Uh, we're for a relationship with God. Uh, that's what we were made for. And um, so I use this analogy in the book about, you know, you can take a tool, you can take a spade, and obviously a spade has a particular purpose. It's for, you know, it's for digging the garden or something. Now, you can use it as a cricket bat, but, you know, it's not optimized to be used in that way. Uh, or you can use it to scrape the, you know, scrape the leaves up off your driveway or something. Yeah, just about you can. And just about we can repurpose our own existence for, you know, a life mm. of hedonism or, you know, the, the pursuit of power or the pursuit of money or the pursuit of as much sex as possible or, or, or whatever it is that I might want to pursue. Yeah. Um, but that's not what a human being is for. And the central contention of the Bible is that a human being is for a relationship with God and, you know, to, to do a job that God has asked us to do. And if people were able to take away that sense that there is a plan and a purpose and there is an ask of us from God and that if we try to tune into that and, um, you know, orient our lives towards that, then there's there's a there's a natural fit there because that's what we were designed for and that brings a fulfillment and a hope and a purpose so so if if, if someone were to take away any sense of that then that that, that would uh, that would feel like a, a good result like it was all worthwhile 
cool. So I, I noticed as I read it, some references, a number of references to different uh, musical genres and songs and titles and lyrics. So there was a couple of Queen songs in there, and I think there was some U2, BB King, even the Sound of Music, I think, featured in there. So what's what's going on there? I've, I'm sure I've missed. I'm sure I've missed some. <laughs> Yeah, there are a few things. I was just watching. Uh, I was just watching Steven Spielberg's, you know, the new version of West Side Story uh, recently, yeah. and you know, again, there's stuff in there. The Sergeant Krupke song, yeah, um, and you know, it's <laughs> all about um, you know expl- uh, making excuses for yourself and saying, "Oh, actually, it wasn't me. It was you know a sociological disease, or it was a psychological problem, or it was my parents, or it was this or that. It was anybody. I don't care who it was, as long as it's not me who's to blame." Yeah, and 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 you know that that little moment there. Uh, as you know, dressed up as a comedy in West Side Story, takes yeah. you right back to the Garden of Eden and, and Adam blaming Eve and Eve blaming the serpent, and you know, of not taking ownership for what you know what we are and what we've done. And so, I, I just think it's fascinating how you know in the popular culture and music's an example of that. Mm. Um, you can plug into these things. You know, if it's if if this is true, if the Bible's message is true, then then all of these questions will resonate and they will show up. In the culture, and they do. Mm. And, and music is an example. I mean, another example is 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 film. You know, we as human beings, we're fascinated with the struggle of good versus evil. You know, goodies versus baddies. And you think of, you know, you think of the Lord of the Rings. You think of Harry Potter. You think of Star Wars. You know, these are the biggest movie franchises there've ever been. Why are we so fascinated with this question of the struggle between good and evil? We can't escape it. You know. And, and the answer is because we are caught up in that very struggle. It's a personal struggle yeah. that we all have. And, and, you know, the Bible is the true version of, of what, where, you know, why there is that struggle, where it comes from, what it means and what we can do about it and how God can help us with that struggle and fashion us into something better that we actually all long to be. Yeah, it's in, in a sense, the Bible is the greatest story ever told. And those are reflections of aspects of that struggle. So, so let's um, let's sort of get into some of the content and, and, and work through some of the sections of of the book, and and to some extent, let's see if what I would th- expect my biggest questions to be are a feature in this book and and uh, and are addressed in some way. So, you know, I, I know at, at the outset of the book, you kind of say, you know, there, there are three basic questions that are the biggest questions, which is where did I come from, why am I here, and where am I going? Where where are we going? Where is this all going so we start with the first of those sort of where do we come from and and the the question of god we've you know we've tackled this in other in other podcasts before is is there a god and there's a couple of arguments that you you present in pretty concise form but what what would be your go-to argument for there being a god yes and it is difficult so i I tried to cover that question in three in three short chapters and i I would say there were two parts of the book that were the hardest parts to write and that was one of them because as you as you you well know you know there are whole books that can be written or the hand that have been written on just one of the arguments Mm -hmm. for god never mind the whole the whole package um, I mean, for me, it is a cumulative argument. There's not, there's not one argument. Yeah. In a way, they're all powerful enough, but, but it's the force of them combined, I think, which is, which is the really yeah. impressive thing. So, you know, the, the, the beginning, the cause of things. So, you know, the fancy name for this is the cosmological argument. But, um, you know, if there's, if there's a, if there's a kettle boiling in the next room, we can say, well, why, you know, what, what caused that? the kettle to be boiling and of course we can tell a story about 
well, there's an electric current running through a heating element and that's causing, mm. uh, you know, the water to heat up. And uh, we can answer it at that level, uh, you know, to purely in terms of material causes for this to happen. Mm. But there are, of course, there are other levels that we'd want to ask the questions, like, because my wife switched it on would be, you know, would be an answer. But, but even that, even the agent, you know, who did it that made the kettle boil, even that's not enough to answer the question because we would want to know why. And it was good, well, because we wanted to have a cup of tea. So, so you'd, you know, you'd want to understand all of those things to understand why there's a kettle boiling. But I don't think what any of us would, would accept is that, um, you know, th- there is a kettle, the kettle just spontaneously happened, you know, came into existence and started boiling for no purpose, by no one, for no reason. And really, you can extrapolate that argument out to the universe and say it is extremely unlikely that something as complex and amazing in so many different ways, so many different levels as a universe would come into being for no one, by no one, out of nothing. Um, and there's the sound of music reference, right? Which is, you know, Julie Andrews, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. And as a logical syllogism, the argument is everything which has a beginning um, has a cause, the universe has a beginning, therefore the universe has a cause. And then you go into, so what would the cause look like? The universe is something which is highly intelligible. And, you know, that, and, and the whole of science works on the basis of the intelligibility of the natural world. Where do things that are intelligible come from? They come from an intelligence. So, so you need something which is outside of matter to explain the origin of matter, of the material, something which is outside space, something which is outside time, something on the order of mind mm. uh, that could bring about something which is so, you know, which is a rational system. So I think, I think, I think all of that is, is, is very powerful. And then, you know, then we could go into details talking about design. We could talk about human beings and the, you know, the most amazing thing in the universe is probably the human brain. So there are there those arguments. Then there are arguments about, um, uh, about, you know, humans' moral desire, our desire to be a better version of ourselves. Why should we desire that? You know, um, and of course, if you believe the Bible's narrative, that the answer to that is, is, is very obvious and very compelling. There's a reason why we should be like that. The reason why we should have all those capabilities that most of the animals don't have, it's because we're made in the image of God. That's why we have value. The Bible's, the Bible's doctrine gives you a basis for valuing human life. So, so these are the, some of the things that, 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 that come together, uh, I, I think, as, as part of an answer to this. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, a, it's an accumulation of those different ways of looking at the problem that, that that build up to the best explanation and 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 I like the kettle analogy I think I think I've heard John Lennox use that sort of analogy before I'm sure many people have it's and and in many ways the the explanation which is because I wanted a cup of tea is is not to do with material stuff it's not to do with the science of it all yeah. but it's a much more interesting explanation because it has purpose it has meaning and and when you Take that up to the uh, the level of the universe, and and think of a an intelligence, a mind. Uh, then that's a much more interesting, as well as being, you know, to us at least, and maybe people listening will start to think about it as well. Uh, being the best explanation, it is a much more interesting and meaningful explanation. I, I noticed in that that section of the book, you didn't really go into the morality argument as as much. Which I know is a very big thing for, for example, for C.S. Lewis. That's, that's kind of the thing that he, in mere Christianity, pins his argument largely on that. 
but it comes up it definitely comes up later in as as you talk about the the human condition and i suppose that's where our other biggest of big questions comes out and which in many ways is is an issue that confronts many people that think about religion christianity the existence of a god which is the whole issue of suffering and you know why is there so much suffering why is there suffering how can there be a god in the face of such such suffering that's a huge topic in itself again which which, which you, you cover with with some with some analogies do, do, do you want do you want to give us a flavor of how you how you address that you know the human conundrum i think is the uh, is the way you describe it i suppose i cover it tan- i cover it tangentially yeah. in a way yeah that's right yeah it's, it's covered tangentially in the sense that if we if we try to understand what god's objective is and and then um you know some parameters through which he might want to you know he might seek to achieve that objective so the objective you know which i call the prime directive of being a world full of his glory that reflects his creativity and and awesomeness um how do you achieve a world like that and you know what the bible implies that god is seeking here is is um a freely given response from human beings now if it's freely given then it's not it's not um, it's not forced people need to be given a choice so, so you know so God didn't create you know God did obviously create plenty of animals um, and, and inanimate objects which just do, you know the inanimate objects in, in some sense just mm. do what they're told and the animals are driven by the instincts that they're driven by but you know we have all these other capabilities we have this freedom to choose and that's the that's the highest way really in which God's glory can be reflected but there is a price to pay for that and uh, and and really and this is you know this is a huge thing to get your head round and I think to some degree all believers uh, are, are trying to get their heads round it that you know God uh, the goal was so worthwhile that the human suffering that there is in the world was a price worth paying for that uh, so so you know, I think it. I think it is helpful to 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 think of, you know, to to to, to again to think about the, the the end goal, which is a world full of God's glory. I think you know the mistake a lot of people make is they look around at the world today and they see the problems in it. Uh, you know, there's lots of good things in the world, which I think are, are good evidence for God and for God's plan. But of course, there's lots of bad stuff as well. And looking at that and say, well, you know, either God's not powerful enough to do anything about it, or uh, he must be morally suspect to allow this to happen. And um, I think what that what that fails to realize is that this this what we have now is a stepping stone. And I use the analogy of a building a building site. You know, you know, as human beings, we want to have you know incredibly beautiful, amazing buildings, and we have them, but they don't just spontaneously occur. There is a process and labor and a lot of mess, and the building site, uh, um, uh, you know, that's necessary in order in order for that to happen. And life as we experience it now is that building site uh, in order uh, to prepare for the great you know future structure that, that, that God is building, which is you know which is the kingdom that He's promised from the very the very beginning. Yeah, and, and I think that the, the argument around free will and, and choice and the consequence of that being that human beings, many um, will choose to do things that are harmful, either to themselves or to others around them, uh, and that, that being a source of the, the suffering that we see in the world. 
there's sort of a background experience of suffering, though, that is that is not attached to human free will and human free choices, you know, which is, you know, disease and uh, and, and other aspects like that, which personally, I've, I do find quite difficult to get my head around fully in the context of a God. And eventually, you have to land at a level of trust that God has done things in a way that are suitable for the end result that you know getting us from the building site to the to the finished construction there is a there is a price worth pay that's a hard it's a hard thing to get your head around and it's you know for someone that's suffering it with a disease or something it's not a particularly helpful way to to comfort them or rationalize them you know that that's where the compassion and and, and empathy you know is much more much more helpful and powerful in those those situations. Yeah, that's that, that's right, and it's, it's interesting on, on that. It, it's you know, it's quite, I mean, C.S. Lewis is very interested on that subject, and you can see, you know, he writes about that subject at several different points in his life, and as he comes to experience some suffering himself. Um, he, he, you know, the way he writes about it changes uh, quite a bit, and in the end, really, the the the, the most important question for us uh, um, is not so much. Um, at one level is not so much why we suffer because we can, as, as, as you pointed out, we can never fully understand that. We can, you know, we can set out some principles, which is very helpful, but, 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 you know, it is difficult to fully get our heads around it. But the real question then is not why we suffer, but how we suffer and, and how, how our suffering can be, can be an opportunity for us to, to draw nearer to God. So in a way, suffering raises the stakes in your life because when everything's going fine, it's like, it might be, might be fairly easy to, to say, yeah, I have this great relationship with God. But how do you actually yeah. test that? How do you actually make that a richer, more meaningful relationship? Well, you, you have to put it to the test. And that's, that's exactly what suffering does. So, so suffering has actually all, all, you know, purposes at several different levels. Um, you know, which we can sort of understand in theory, but then, as you say, the actual practice of it uh, is something different again, isn't it? So, so as as the as you kind of explore the human problem conundrum, the under construction stage in the book, you then get onto the the solution to Jesus Himself. So, and this brings us on to another big question. So, Jesus, what what is so special about Jesus? How is the life, death, by crucifixion of one man? How is that? How can that be a solution? What is that supposed to do? To us, to the world, uh, either at an individual or at a broader level, how how is that a solution? Maybe lead us through how you how you talk that through. Yes, uh, and again, I mean these are <laughs> yeah, the, I mean these are the very biggest questions, aren't they? And the, and and the most fascinating questions, really, that it's possible to ask. And that, you know, so really, this is the question: Why did Jesus die? Isn't it? Which you know, I don't I don't imagine we'll ever stop grappling, you know, trying to get our heads around and. You know, one of the amazing things about it is you, you you keep seeing more in it the more you reflect on it. I think, and and mm. 
I think one of the ways that uh, this was the this was the I said there were two bits of the book that were particularly difficult to write, and this was the second. <laughs> one was the existence of God, bit, and the other was was this bit, and again trying to say something hopefully useful about this in two in two chapters, uh, uh, you know, is quite difficult. I think what the what we tend to want to do as human beings is to, you know, like, can we find the passage in the Bible that, that expresses it like some kind of formula, you know? So if I can, if I can get this equation, then it's like, all right, now I, now I understand why Jesus died. And there is no such passage that does that. And what we, what instead we get more, more like a mosaic where we get a collection of images that, or, or metaphors that help us understand, that help us approximate, you know, it's like this. And, We've got to be careful with that because, you know, if you push any one of those metaphors or pictures too hard, you can start, you know, you can, you, you can start working them too much and getting things out, which would then start to contradict with things that are said in yeah. other scriptures. You know, so analogy is helpful, but it's helpful to a point. And we have to try to understand as we're looking through those passages, what the point is that the passage is trying to get at and, and not to get you know, not to go overboard with that. But, you know, one of the things that I found very helpful, and again, it, it's, you know, it's not my idea in origin, but, um, uh, you know, it's come from various others, and I just found it helpful, is to is to think about the, the crucifixion as a drama, um, as really as an act of communication by God. God is saying something in this event. And what, what is it that God is saying? And that, that links to, you know, passage in Romans that talks about, you know, the, 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 about the death of Jesus declaring, that's the language of communication, right? Declaring God's righteousness. And in what, in what way does it do that? And the more you reflect on that question, I think then you start to get closer to the answer. So, I mean, you know, obviously we don't, we've, we've got very limited time here, but very briefly put, what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross, we see everything that's wrong with human nature. You know, that Jews, i.e. religious power, that Gentiles, Romans, political power, um, you know, the sort of gang spirit, that men and women in general, you know, the sons of men should kill their own son. Um, and, you know, Jesus described himself as the son of man. And what do we do with our son? And, and this is like, you know, this is the worst thing, child sacrifice mm. in a way that's being, that's being, you know, perpetrated by these, by these, by these men. So, so, so we, we, we see the nature of the problem of human nature, but we also see what, what we ought to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly obedient to the will of God, giving rather than taking. Um, uh, uh, being prepared to, you know, to, to succumb rather than to fight back, not to escalate, but to do the very opposite, to give himself. And, and, and this is the way that, uh, you know, it's, it, it's the easiest thing in the world to escalate, isn't it? Um, human beings have d been doing it ever since the beginning of time. And Jesus shows us the better way to be. So there's that going on in terms of human nature. And then there's also, um, there's also the principle of sacrifice of paying a price for a, for a benefit which is so much greater of giving the most precious thing that you that, that you have which is your own life in the case of Jesus and which is your own son in the case of God and and again in that God and Jesus are pointing the way forward to us you've got to stop thinking about me first what can I get out of this how dare they do this to me but instead think about what can I give how can I um, change things all that is seen in the cross is just fantastic it's just like it's inexhaustibly 
uh, deep, I think. Yeah, and, and that is, that's very much an individual reflection upon that event in history. When I say individual, it, it, it needs to be a personal reflection on that on that event. And it's almost presented as that way, as building on the way you've described it in the Gospels. There's You have those components of humanity, if you like. You have the, the Jews, the Jewish authorities, but there's one, Joseph of Arimathea, who sees Jesus in a different and positive way, sees him for what he is. And there's the Romans that, that execute the crucifixion. But there's the centurion that sees him. Yeah, surely this man was the son of God. And there's the disciples. So there's all those different categories of people around, as well as all these people that are just indifferently walking past and sort of represent different aspects of humanity and that we should reflect on that one moment in history. And and we have to respond to it one way or the other. Now, this is... This is probably an unfair question, and you can refuse to answer it if you like. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are there are various models of the atonement that you know have been given labels over time, whether it's the satisfaction theory or substitution or the exemplar model. In the couple of chapters, where would you pitch the the reconciliation or atonement model that you present? I mean, you know, going back to the Old Testament, there's this, there's this principle about, about the shedding of blood, right? And blood representing human life. And, 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 you know, when sacrifice was made in the Old Testament of the animal representing you, you know, saying, I, I should be dying and the sins being, you know, placed on the animal. And, and the New Testament, New Testament picks up all, all that language really to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as our representative and, 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 and he is our forerunner. Um, you know, he dies for us, but we also must die, you know, in, and, and participate in his death, mm. which we do through, th- through baptism and through making and, uh, you know, trying to make it, well, making, uh, I should say, making a, a, a new beginning or God allowing us to, to, to have this new start. So, you know, it, it's not just about, uh, you know, Jesus dying for us in the sense and then saying, so then therefore I don't have to do anything uh, far, far from it. You know, this is something that that involves us all personally in, in, in a committed response um, in, in participating in his death through baptism. And maybe it's a, a little bit like the analogies that are used to articulate the meaning of Jesus' death, that, that there are a number of them and they each hold elements of truth as they express uh, what is going on. You know, maybe it's the same with those maybe somewhat artificial labels that are attached to uh, different atonement models. There's there's a bit of truth in all of them. Yeah, you know, I said there isn't one passage and we've got to put together this mosaic, which is right, but, you know, probably one passage that does talk about it at more length than others mm-hmm. is Romans 3. And... You know, I think there that, that you know the, the, again the, this language of declaring of the sacrifice of Jesus, declaring God's righteousness, declaring that God is right. You know, God is right in saying what He said about sin. That sin is a problem and has to be killed. Sin has to be put to death, and Jesus takes our sins upon Him and puts them to death. I, I really think that that declaring God's righteousness mm-hmm. phrase and, and and thinking through what that means and how it means it is a particularly rich you know, a, a helpful way to understand it or to try, you know, to, to start to understand it, let's say. Okay. Um, as the book then kind of goes into the second half, we've talked about Jesus as the, and his crucifixion in particular as a moment in, in history that, that attracts our attention and upon which we should reflect. But that in itself is not the end solution. Do, do you want to just kind of finish the 
the narrative arc, if you like, of, of the purpose of God to the broader solution that you describe. This is really captured, you know, throughout the New Testament in Jesus' teaching and in the teaching of the apostles in the book of Acts and elsewhere. You know, we, we find that there are two key elements of the gospel message. You know, one is the things concerning yeah. Jesus Christ. And we've talked about some of the key elements of that. And, and, and the other is the things concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, that Jesus came once and then ascended, but he's coming back to establish God's kingdom. And I think you can link those two things quite, quite helpfully to, you know, the individual problems that we have, the problem of human nature. I mean, that is an individual problem and it's also a systemic problem. Jesus, Jesus made it possible for the individual problem of human nature, you know, my human nature and yours to be addressed through his sacrifice. And we, we identify ourselves with that as I've, as I've described. But then there are the wider problems of society. And God intends to fix those as well, which he'll do by sending Jesus back. And that's the, that's the coming kingdom, the second coming that the Bible talks about. Okay, so as, as the book then kind of goes into its closing sections, it talks about the sort of response an individual might, might make to, the, to these things around belief and then repentance, a change of, change of heart, change of direction and, and the living of a, of a different life, a new life. You know, once someone has read through this book and it has piqued their interest and their interest in wanting to explore more what what should what should they do well hopefully um for someone who for someone who reads it and perhaps has not spent that much time with the bible them, themselves up to that point hopefully they would come away enthused uh, to 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 start to do that sure and try to start to read the bible for themselves and um, in the Christadelphian community, we, we, you know, we try to help people do that as much as we possibly can. Uh, and, and, you know, we do that through Bible reading groups, seminars, you know, one-on-one conversations, exhibition, Bible exhibitions. So, uh, you know, really get stuck into the Bible um, and, and, you know, make it your, your mission, I suppose, to find out more about, about these amazing things. Uh, you know, Jesus presents us with this really exciting challenge you know his teaching is absolutely unique and inspiring and really to read that for yourself mm. there's no substitute for that and then to, to and to reflect on the basis of that okay so what what you know what does god want from me then um you know what does this mean for 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 my life both in terms of what my responsibilities are as a human being but also um you know what i what i should value and, and, and what i can what i can hope for and, and the comfort that i can receive uh because you know it really is good news yeah and, and i think in in western society anyway the the reading of the bible can tend to be a little bit of an individual or seen as an individual task whereas for most of history uh, it, it's probably been read in community read with with groups of people and and so yes while well, pick up a bible and read it but also find other people that are interested in in reading it and read it reflect on it think about it talk about it about it with them and certainly um, many christian communities around uk and around the world can help help people to do that well that's been really really interesting and really helpful to just just talk through this uh yeah, relatively small book, but it's it's packed with with big big questions and explanations and ways to think about some of those those questions. Uh, so thanks very much, Mark, for spending the time with us to to talk that through. We will put in the podcast notes uh, where you can get a hold of a copy of the book. There are some copies on Amazon and on Waterstones online. 
the intention is not for Mark to make a shed load of money out of selling this book. So they're, they're very reasonably priced at £1.50 or something like that. It is available free on um, the Christadelphians.org.uk. There is an e-reader version that you can just flick through on, on your laptop or um, or on your phone. So it's uh, it's hopefully readily available. When you search for it, actually, there is another book entitled Life's Biggest Questions by another author, Eric Thones, um, something like that. So make sure you search for Life's Biggest Questions by Mark Vincent and you'll get the right one. So thank you again, Mark, and uh, thank you to everyone who's, uh, who's listened to this, and uh, we'll be back soon. In the meantime, stay safe and God bless. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage, at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey.